So we find ourselves doing a little bit unusual things than usual Sunday service when we actually have electricity. So I imagine why this microphone is in front of me is not for your benefit, <clears throat> but those online. So I'd like to welcome everyone, including our guests at the Expanding Light Retreat, those guests at the Meditation Retreat, and those online. For those that are new, this is your first visit to Ananda Village. Uh, very welcome to you. If you'd like to know more about Ananda, we have a volunteer after service at the reception desk out in the foyer. Uh, and there's also material there that you can pick up about different parts of Ananda. And you're also welcome to join us for our lunch over at the Expanding Light Retreat dining room across the meadow. My name is Nayaswami Pranaba, and this is Nayaswami Parvidi. <clears throat> this reading is taken from Rays of the One Light with commentaries on the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita written by Swami Kriyananda. <clears throat> this week's topic is, what is the best way to pray? Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teaching of Paramahansa Yogananda. Jesus Christ and Sri Krishna both advise praying to God as personal. Yet both emphasize also that God is above form and that he must be sought ultimately in infinity. As Jesus put it, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Yet he spoke of God constantly as our Heavenly Father. In what is known as the Lord's Prayer, he proposed a very human prayer to the Heavenly Father, asking fulfillment for all our spiritual needs. The Bhagavad Gita explains that man, living as he does in a human body, finds it difficult to worship infinity as though the ego and body didn't even exist. Far better for human beings, Krishna says, to work with reality as we know it than to affirm a reality of which the human mind is incapable of forming any clear notion. Encouraging the devotee in this direction, he says, O Arjuna, be thou a yogi. That is to say, be one who works with, not in rejection of, the energies of the body and the natural tendencies of the mind. In the 12th chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, Arjuna asks, Those who, ever steadfast, worship thee as devotees, that is to say, in an I and thou relationship, and those who contemplate thee as the immortal, unmanifested spirit, which group is the better versed in yoga? The blessed Lord replied, those who, fixing their minds on me, adore me, ever united me to me through supreme devotion, are in my eyes the perfect knowers of yoga. Those whose strict aim is, to, is union with the unmanifested choose a more difficult way. Arduous for embodied beings is the path of dedication to the absolute, the followers, that is to say, of the path of jnana yoga. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Om, Om, Om. So, this morning, rather than reading from Whispers from Eternity, I'm going to read a whisper from Eternity, which I couldn't find in that book, out of Kamala Silva's The Flawless Mirror. Because she had asked Yogananda, 
is God personal or impersonal? Which is part of our topic this morning. <clears throat> and uh, she said that Master wrote his reply to my question and then read it to me. His beautiful answer is presented here. It was included in his book, Whispers from Eternity, when published later. Thou art impersonal, invisible, unseen, formless, omnipresent, yet frozen by my devotion, I beheld thee sometimes as Krishna, sometimes as Christ, personal, visible, imprisoned in the little space within the temple of my love. O spiritual spirit invisible, just as thou didst freeze thy unseen inf infinitude into the seen cosmic finitude, so do thou appear unto me visible and living, that I may serve thee. I want to see thee as the ocean of life, with and without the ripples of finite creation. With blessings, Swami Yogananda. Anyway, I thought you would enjoy that. The topic today is an important one, and it, it's to me, it just reminded me how um, things are always qualified as we are trying to attain to perfection. And so uh, with God and how, what is the best way to pray, and the topic includes uh, personal and impersonal, but also finite and infinite. And so the infinite spirit and uh, very few people are able to understand God beyond creation, <laughs> without movement, without form, without really anything. It's, it's hard to grasp that. But in essence, that spirit beyond creation is what we're part of. So there's, there's that reflection of that in every atom of creation. It's called the Christ consciousness. And, uh, and also that reflection of, of that consciousness in us. And even though spirit beyond creation is probably beyond consciousness even, but still there's something there that connects us with that. And when we are finally achieve a state of uh, complete liberation, kaivalya moksha, then we merge back into that. And so there has to be, in my mind, a progression toward that. And i am always been uh, interested in the fact that uh, the great saints and even the great just devotees and disciples have experienced a, for a formless part of that divine. So I think of two examples, Teresa of Avila, who had many, many visions of Jesus Christ. He was with her all the time, in form, in vision, all of that. And yet, at one point, she had a vision, and she went to her confessor, and this was in the 1500s during the Inquisition, and she, it was a real problem because she said to him, I've experienced Christ, but there's no form. I knew that he was with me, but I didn't see him. There was no form there. 
And the confessor just kind of gulped because this was beyond what anybody in the 1500s had uh, experienced. And therefore, was it true or was it out of the bounds of the Catholic teachings, the dogma? And uh, would this be a problem for her being, you know, part uh, uh, looked at by the Inquisition, that kind of thing? In other words, was she experiencing something that was within the teachings of the church? And someone came to see her confessor at one point, and he had stacks of books on his desk. And they said, well, what are all these for? He said, you see these books? This is what I have to do to understand Teresa of Avila. <laughs> but he eventually found, I believe, was it St. Thomas, Thomas. Thomas Aquinas, who centuries before had also experienced the formless Christ. And so he was able to bring that understanding because Thomas Aquinas wrote about it. He was able to bring that forward. No one had had that experience that had t told it to a confessor. And so, but he was able to bring that forward into, into his time and therefore protect her uh, from any uh, inquisition or any uh, thing of, it wasn't, it wasn't within the Catholic teachings, which at the time was a huge thing. The other one that's interesting to know about was, you remember Fatima. Well, Fatima, there were three young children, Lucia, Francisco, and Jacinta, who had these incredible, very powerful visions of the Divine Mother, and so powerful that even on today, uh, Fatima is a pilgrimage place for people to go to, to feel those incredible blessings. And there were many uh, things that happened during those visions. The sun at one point danced in the sky and various things happened. But one of the, the, the little boy, and they, these children, I think the youngest ones were uh, six or seven, middle, maybe nine years old, and then the older one was around 10 or 11. But Francisco, who was around nine years old, he, um, both of the younger ones died uh, during the great flu influenza uh, epidemic at that time. And he was so sick that he couldn't go to church anymore. This was after the visions had uh, happened. But he couldn't go to church anymore, and so he said to someone, when you go, say hello to the unseen Jesus. Because that's how he experienced him also, in addition to having these incredible visions of the Divine Mother. And so that unseen Jesus, he, he felt when he had gone to church there. So, you know, to me, I thought, that means there's a progression. It was still about uh, formless Christ and the unseen Jesus, but it's a progression toward that infinite. Now, that's my interpretation. Maybe it's not right, but I just thought that's kind of how uh, our own experiences go when we have experiences that we little by little are deepening those through our incredible and daily sadhana, incredible because we, do, we actually do it. Most people don't. They talk about meditation, but don't actually meditate regularly. But the fact that we have a sadhana 
that every day allows us to, and that we commit to, to deepening our understanding little by little. And so with prayer, I just thought, you know, Yogananda talked about the attitudes of prayer, how to uh, go about it. And these are things that we all know, but I'll just, there were things that came to my mind that, that feel important. And one is that he said, whispers from eternity, it's full of prayer demands. And he's put it in context. He said, one, it has to be a loving demand and it has to be sincere. But he also was saying the reason that we can say demand is because that's our father, that's our mother. God is not separate from us. We're part of that. As a child demands things from its parents, I want you and I want you now. We can, we can do that with God as well, with that divine. And so he, and again, these are the poem from Whispers that I read and this understanding of prayer and how to relate to God. These are things that Yogananda brought into our time. It is a new understanding. They were real dilemmas in the past in India and in the West. Is God personal or impersonal? That was a, a real, is God with form or without form? It was an either or thing. But Yogananda said, no, it's both. Of course God is impersonal. The creator of the entire universe with the reflection of that uh, consciousness, that uh, spirit in every atom of creation. So of course that's very impersonal. And yet brought down into human beings is very personal. So we're able to understand that, but he resolved these raging uh, dilemmas within dogma of the Catholic Church in the West and other churches in India in the East as well, and brought them into a deeper understanding. And that's what he brought here to America. It was the cream of the, under, of the deepening understanding of how to go about living your spiritual life, how to relate to God, how to actually do that in everyday life. And so when we pray, and prayer may be a specific prayer, it may be an ongoing conversation with God, with that divine presence. But that divine presence can be male, female, a father, a mother, a friend, a beloved. All of that's fine because remember, we, through our loving devotion, are freezing that infinite into a form that we can relate to personally. And that is all fine. It's not an either or. It's something where we can progress from that understanding. And that was what I was feeling about the experience of a Teresa of Avila, the experience of a Francisco, a visionary, was that it was a progression. They had actual visions of God, which maybe we have, maybe we don't. But then it progressed to a more impersonal form. So Yogananda said prayer demands are good. They need to be loving, they need to be sincere, they need to be kind. And it's with the idea that of course, God will give us whatever we want because we are part of that divine. 
also prayer in my experience and maybe for you prayer needs to be done um, with a loving demand but also with thy will be done in other words saying to God I feel this strongly I would like to see this but your will is what really matters to me our prayers in other words include the fact that we're living to attune more deeply to God's will that attunement with God's will is what will free us that's why we're we're here that's why we meditate that's why we do everything but that attunement means that we have to leave that opening for God to uh, allow us to grow into what our prayer maybe should be. In other words, we start out with a prayer and it's like, hmm, well, you know, God might say, hmm, well, that's an interesting prayer, but let me, let me guide you a little deeper in that so that you can say that in a way that is liberating for you that you can say that in a way that really fulfills you spiritually because you're expanding your consciousness. So that was just kind of those things, those elements were things that struck me. And then the other part I thought, how do we know if our prayers are answered? What proof do we have? And uh, sometimes you say, oh, I wish this would happen. It's a prayer to God. And wow, it happens. So there you go. It's an obvious thing. There's your answer. <laughs> but, but many times it isn't that kind of thing. It's not a prayer that uh, you see that uh, uh, overtly out, outside. But we can feel that response. Remember, as Yogananda and Swami Kriyananda have said, here is the broadcasting station, the point between the eyebrows. This is where we pray from. And then when we've put out something very focused in a prayer, we need to listen as well in the heart and feel, is there a response to that prayer? Has that come back? And what does that feel like? How am I experiencing that? I'll read something at the very end that Yogananda said, because it's important. But how, how do we know that those prayers that we send out actually come back to us? Well, we know by that feeling in the heart, by joy, by feeling a, a bigger understanding of divine love. And the other part I thought is that as we pray and as we grow spiritually, we're starting to touch on lifting our consciousness up to the superconscious. And when we do that, we start to see things differently in the world. We start to see the unity of everything that looks so diverse and so separate and everybody's so different from each other, different color skin, different kind of hair, different you know, face and male and female and all that, all that becomes understandable in the superconscious. And uh, I was remembering because Anandi uh, brought up Frank Laubach last Sunday that there was a very just touching incident in his life uh, when he was, he was on the island of Mindanao, 
in the Philippines alone, as she said, and, uh, and he had a number of experiences just by his, again, conversation, daily trying to uh, tune into that divine presence for himself. But as he grew, there's one little story that he tells that he relates to his father, who is who he wrote these letters to, um, that he was on a ferry going somewhere. And uh, on the ferry was what was referred to as a painted lady. And she was a little older, and she was just all made unusual for, for the uh, general culture of the time. And she was a dancer, an exotic dancer, and all her makeup on and everything, and just looking very um, like a painted lady. And, uh, but he, he made it a point when he got on the ferry to go over and talk to her. And he said, I could see that the, the, um, the captain of the ferry was laughing and the guys were laughing, thinking, oh, there's that man, older man going to talk to this woman. He had a very sweet connection with her. She, he said, how are you? And what are you doing? What do you, where are you traveling to? And she said, oh, I'm going to such and such a town, and I've just come from this other place. And they really enjoyed my, my dance, and it was so wonderful to share that, that with the people there. She was very childlike, very just enjoying what she was able to offer to people. And uh, he just related that in, in one of his letters. And I thought, that is very sweet. But I thought, because he was rising above any dogma of Christianity or anything like that, and just starting to, through his practice of communing with God every day, was starting to really see the souls of people, no matter what their outer uh, part looked like, their face, their dress, and anything. So that was, uh, I thought, very uh, deep and meaningful and is a part of when we practice prayer and how we know that we're getting answers to prayers because we change our own consciousness. We uplift it and it becomes something that we start to feel our own consciousness expanding out into people everywhere. The other, I think, final thing I'd like to relate is that um, in our society today, we know everything all the time, 24-7. And uh, it's actually a little overwhelming. So I, I was just remembering when I had been through a period here at the village, and I wasn't... Um, uh, watching any television at all, and I would go periodically to visit my parents in Walnut Creek. And uh, they naturally had the television on, not, not all the time, but in the evenings, naturally. And the news would come on with all this horrible stuff and war and here that, you know, if you weren't in Afghanistan, well, now you could be, and, you know, just, and the bombs and explosions and all of that. And I thought, it just struck me at that time, and this was in probably the mid-1980s, I thought, people are just being bombarded by all these things that they can't do anything about. It isn't something in their neighborhood that's happening. It isn't something that they can really deal with. And 
how do you deal with things like that? What do you do? <laughs> because it just would, I could see the, the reaction in my parents. Oh, this is, you know, and this, and it just felt disturbing to me for no particular reason. And then fast forward to 2001, when we had 9-11 happen, and my mother happened to be living in Ohio at the time which was kind of close to where things were happening there. She naturally had the television on in the morning, Good Morning America, and there it was, the entire 9-11 event happening live before your gaze. And she just was overwhelmed by it. I talked with her later on that day, and she was crying and, and just saying, and I said, you know what? All that you can do is pray for all those people. Really do pray for them. Send them light. She didn't know anything about that. You know, that wasn't, in other words, she didn't know anything about our teachings, about acting as a channel, but I just thought, just do it. You know, just feel light coming through you. Send light to all those people. Do something practical that will really help. It will help you, and it will also help them as well. And so I just offer that as something for all of us. It may be something that we do already, but just to say, if I'm not there halfway around the world and these horrible things are happening, or even halfway across the country, don't forget to pray, to be a channel for light always. And in closing, I'd like to uh, read... Yogananda, in The Essence of Self-Realization, has a little chapter on the most, how does he state it? <laughs> the effective way to pray? I think it is. There we go. How to pray effectively. And I wanted to read just a little bit of what he wrote here about when he says, pray thus to God. Behind my every restless feeling, may I feel thy concern for me and thy love. Behind my awareness, may I feel sustained and guided by thy consciousness. Behind my love for thee, may I become ever more deeply conscious of thy love. And then he goes on to say, if you continuously pray to him, to God, in this way, and if you pray with all sincerity, you will feel his presence suddenly as a great joy in your heart. In that bursting joy, you will know that he is with you and that he is your very own. And I'd just like to close completely by saying, let us not forget about how important the light is that comes out from a place like Ananda Village, like Palo Alto, Ananda Palo Alto, Ananda Sacramento, Ananda in Los Angeles. I'm naming those in particular because California right now is under siege in a certain way, maybe from Divine Mother, maybe for a reason. But let us feel that we're part of sending out that light that blesses everything. It may not solve all the problems, but let us hold everything in that light in this time 
for the entire state of California. And I say that only specifically that because that seems to be where it's really happening right now and it's, and it's where we live. So just feel that in your prayers and when we chant Om at the very end of service, maybe we can send out that blessing to all receptive people and feel that light as a protection in this time. Not that we don't need to go through difficult times. It may be a preparation for other things coming that we will need to be prepared for. But at least we remember that the light of our masters is extremely powerful in this time, and it wants to come out and help people everywhere. So, joy to you. Mm -hmm.